Hello, welcome to the Australian Cycling Insider Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and today I'm bringing to you an interview I did with James Whelan of EF Education First. Um, of course, James is a second year professional in the World Tour and yeah, basically talk about uh, how his first year went. He came into the sport as a relatively green I would say recruit after some astounding results that he got after coming from a running background. He nearly won the Tour of Tasmania as a solo rider in 2017 and then in 2018 he took out the Ronde van Vlaanderen as a you know first time ever on the cobbles. So he was clearly a special talent and he got snapped up by the American EF team. And yeah, we talked to him about how his 2020 season went. Um, I started off by, you know, asking some conversational questions and then we kind of got into the interview proper. So it kind of slides in from a conversation between the two of us to uh, the proper interview. But um, I'm sure you'll uh, enjoy it plenty nonetheless. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye. I was going to ask how how many laps you've done with your courtyard at this stage. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yesterday I did 5k and uh, it was 170 laps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're looking at right now. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank goodness for internet and technology in these times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, I've, I've found that um, I'm calling people up who I haven't spoken to in years. Is that <laughs> is that the same thing that you're finding? Yeah. I mean, you just have more time to check in with people. Um, usually, you, and yeah, I mean, usually. Uh, I'm running around like madman from from country to country, um, from race to race, and different training camps. And so it's actually really nice to um, have time at home uh, and to be in one spot for a long period of time. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, I'd like to go outdoors, but uh, it does give me the freedom of time and it gives me the freedom to think about others and not be all consumed in my life as an athlete and as a bike rider. It's nice to check in with people that I haven't spoken to instead in a while just to see how they're going going to say that trend that um will segue nicely into what we wanted to talk about today which was um your first year on the world tour i mean this is a concept we talked about back in january but um yeah i mean now it's now it's a perfectly good time to talk about it and how did you you know find your way into that first year of being a professional athlete from what was i mean i think it's fair to say that you know you're still fairly new to cycling uh, at that stage you hadn't really been through um, a full season riding, even on like the semi-pro um, amateur ranks with the Australian teams, and basically we're talking about what was it like in your first full year as a pro? Yeah, I mean, as you said, I uh, I didn't really know what I'd signed up for, and I didn't have that semi-professional uh, year that most riders have, or a few semi-professional years before they jump the world tour to learn the ropes technically and from a lifestyle perspective as well. This uh, yeah, this video call could go for four hours, and I don't need halfway through explaining everything um, from last year and still what I learned, and uh, yeah, just uh, everything that happened. Um, I mean, obviously, it's yeah, it was a, it was amazing to make the step so quick, but at the same time, I have I didn't realize how much I needed to learn in order to be racing in a final at that level, and also being like uh, super fit physically and mentally. Um, you go from winning quite a few bike races and being right at the point end and always competitive in every bike race you do and then jump to the World Tour and uh, it's a completely new sport, completely new ball game. Yeah, it's, it took a bit of getting used to 
it, com- it took like a complete mental reshuffle as an athlete um, just to work out, okay, now I'm in a peloton with all these amazing bike riders. I'm going to have to re- reevaluate how I do training and try and make that next step up physically. And But then uh, alongside the physical factors, there's also the racing factors, the technical factors of racing, which in the World Tour is one thing I didn't realize was so big. And that would probably be the most daunting step that I had to make last year is just learning how to race a bike in that peloton. As I raced throughout the season, I think a lot of riders and a lot of the management didn't realize how green I was to the sport. And it's a fair assumption that... Uh, if you're a rider that's signed to the World Tour, that you know how to race the bike at the most basic level. But there's a few flaws that I'd have to learn myself pretty quickly. And uh, I think by the end of the season, I can confidently say that uh, I can properly race a bike at that level and be competitive in finals. And uh, it was really nice at the start of this season to have my first European race uh, in France. I had two leagues of racing. Um, and it was really, really reassuring to see how comfortable was in the bunch and also just starts out to position from um, and do my job um, from a technical uh, perspective so that was a blast obviously uh, now I don't have some races to uh, continue that uh, momentum but yeah hopefully it all resumes soon yeah I mean obviously uh, going back to last year uh, I had the Australia block which was great I came in super fit um, and I, I almost in a sense got a false sense of uh, how accomplished I was as a bike rider because the Australian roads are very different to the European roads and even just the fitness of the peloton as well. Um, a lot of riders are just starting their season. So I think it was a great way to start the year, um, but it's kind of a, a false sense of, of what the season would look like. Um, and I think when I got over to Europe, the majority of the peloton was a lot fitter by the time I got to Marche, big one-day races. And yeah, I quickly learned that, yeah, this sport is, is so technical from a yeah, from the racing side of things and positioning and guys are willing to um, do anything for, for themselves or for their teammates. It's a pretty crazy, crazy sport. I'm going to jump in and talk about that Australia block because I love you're very good um, in very forward showings in a number of those races and particularly the incredibly hot day during the Tour Down Under. I can't remember where it was. Radler stage, I think. There we go. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. You, were, you were very aggressive during that stage and you showed yourself well. And then I think I was talking to your DS at the time afterwards and... He was talking about, oh, I was surprised that, I mean, obviously he's, he's, he's shown himself to be well and we're surprised in that regard in his physical ability um, riding in amongst the team. And then also mentioned that it was your first time that you'd ever drop back to a team car to take a bottle as well during that race. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm probably, the funniest stat that I have is probably uh, I'd never grabbed a feed bag before going to the World Tour, whether that be from the roadside or from uh, a car. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's pretty bizarre. What what is it? What is that? A, stat, that one. What is a product that um, of that? I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of shorter races, both on the NRS and um, yeah. the under twenty three scene. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it just yeah, that yeah. you didn't need to feed in that in, in those times? Or yeah, I think a lot of the times. I mean, in all the NRS races, I would bring enough food with me for that race, and a lot of the times it was they were like three and a half hours max, so you could carry the food in your pockets and. When you do these one-day races and state races where you've got five and a half hours and also getting food for other people, um, it's a bit different. But, and then, yeah, for example, when I was doing the Australian races um, at Lavenir, the same thing again. I'd bring a fair bit of food with me. And then if anyone would have enough food in the, the bag that they grabbed, that they would hand it off to me. I'd try and stay away from the feed zones in those under-23 races because there was often a lot of crashes. 
yeah, it just happened to be. And then the first, yeah, the first feedback that I got was in on stage one of the TDU and I got the six pins wrapped around my hand and I couldn't get it uh, like unwrapped. And then I was going down this descent through the cars with one arm and uh, trying to unrail this uh, bag. That could have been the end of my career pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, it was, it was all fine. But um, yeah, that was pretty scary times. <laughs> I think it's those sort of experiences that um, give you like that kick up the backside and think, and think, oh God, I've got to learn fast in this environment. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, just more things like that. I mean, you just only have to look back to even just like the first races I've done this year. It's such a massive change compared to when I first started racing uh, last year and you know, in Europe as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sink or swim situation. If you're not good enough, then you just get stomped in this in, in elite sports. So, um, yeah, you have to learn quick. And, and fortunately, I've, I've had the right people around me and I've had the right team uh, that have supported uh, everything that I need to learn. And yeah, it's I had a pretty fun last year. I had a lot of fun last year, but I I learned a lot. And it was very stressful. So yeah, I think I put together was seventy days in the end. I learned heaps from every single race day that I did. And it's nice now I can I can approach races with better understanding as as to what is coming up, what's required physically, and what's required technically. And from that perspective, even just from a training perspective. Really motivating, knowing what's coming up, and knowing that I need to be this athlete, and I need to be doing this on this race day. And so, to know that uh, I can really do my job properly is, is, is exciting. And hopefully, yeah, the racing resumes um, as soon as possible. Well, yeah, as as do we all. Um, how's the process been within um, EF Education First, and um, adapting to you know what what they need from you um, as a rider and you know, using that as part of your personal development as well? Within Europe, it, it, like our team's based in Spain. So I think uh, a lot of riders uh, quickly went home um, back to the US, a lot of the US riders. Um, but with regards to the management, um, they've just been keeping in touch with us, making sure that we're, we're okay and uh, we have access to the team doctor and also the general management um, within the team, just if we have any concerns or questions. Um, but they're just keeping us updated um, as much as possible. But they know at these times, like a lot of riders have families and that's their main concern. Yeah, I think a lot of riders are, are not knocking on their door being like, hey, when's the next race coming up? I think um, a lot of riders are understanding that this is a lot bigger than than sport, not just cycling itself. But it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's really strange because I've essentially put the, the athlete in the back pocket and kind of, uh, looking at the world in a, in a normal person's perspective, being like, hey, this is pretty crazy. Yeah, I think the team's been really, really supportive. We've obviously now got uh, Swift as well. We've got a few organised rides there. I think on every day we've got something coming up. I think a lot of other teams right now also are just starting to kind of understand what's going on and starting to reshape their next two months. I spoke briefly to Simon Clark at the end of the... Um... 2019 season and um yep. what, what was it? it was down in that tasmanian america's uh stand shaker classic you, you were there as well actually but um yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um yeah so i had a word with him afterwards and you were you, you came up in conversation and i was just talking about um how you progressed through the through that season and he was he was very positive about um how you'd done and um that process how, how has the team and you know particularly like a senior rider like simon been um aiding in that development 
I think out of all the riders I raced with last year, Simon Clark was the one that I, I raced most with. Um, so, yeah, Simon was a really good uh, rider to talk to at the end of the season to see. Cause he, he saw my whole season. We raced together um, pretty much in each quarter. Um, so we got to see how I progressed as an athlete and got to see how I got more comfortable on the bike. And he also got to see like if I'd learnt from my mistakes earlier in the year um, but he was also really good in that, like, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, applaud me for everything. He was, he gave me constructive criticism, um, which was uh, the best form of care, in my opinion. So, yeah, he was, he was really good, like, uh, to talk to. He was always, um, he always gave me his time, which I really appreciate. To see uh, some of the races in Belgium, just how stressed I was and how out of my comfort zone I was. Um, and he would come up to me during the race being like, all right, just dial it down. This is what you need to do. And whether I did it right or whether I did it wrong, um, he would always come to me after the race and uh, say, hey, good job, or hey, you need to do this, or hey, good job, but you also need to do this. Um, so, yeah, he was really good. And also just from the team perspective, I had uh, Tom Southern, my uh, personal director. At the end of the season, um, he obviously lives in Melbourne as well. We had a, a little coffee ride and a catch-up and um, – he gave me like a full uh, summary from the management's perspective as to how my season was, what I did well, what I need to do next year, my expectations of next year. And also he just wanted to hear how I was as a bike rider. Because obviously at the start of, in 2018, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. It was really good to work out by the end of last season that I actually really, really enjoyed what I was doing. I know previously there's some riders that, go from the domestic ranks from the under 23 ranks and they go to the world tour and it's the next level up it's really difficult mentally physically you're in a foreign country and i know there's some riders that uh don't actually end up liking the sport as much as they perhaps were in their previous years i mean you you look at riders no further than like campbell flakemore for example so from that perspective uh, it was really nice to see that uh, i actually enjoyed what i was doing and really passionate and really proud of what uh the team i was in um, the athlete that I was trying to be, and also just the uh, places I was going, the people I was meeting. So it's a pretty cool year, and hopefully I can go for as long as possible. Um, but for me, that was really important, just from the motivation of training for this year. And, um, yeah, uh, just knowing that I feel like a bike rider and I want to be a bike rider is, is really important. Are you able to share any of um, what was um, covered in that performance uh, sort of debrief at the end of the season? And um what uh, you've done well, what needs to be worked on, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, um, I was fortunate enough to get access to like the race summaries that the directors do. Whether it was a direct translation from the documents or not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, basically, it was usually associated with positioning. So there was a few races. I mean, the, the key, the biggest thing of the year is uh, um, there's a few races there where I was really fit and I was kind of uh, in the peloton, but not in the right spot um, in the in the key points. So, for example, uh, we had uh, in Canada, we had Montreal, Quebec. And in Montreal, I was right pretty well. However, uh, uh, I found myself out of position in the last in the final three laps. When uh, I think I can't remember what it was, but uh, pretty much it was all strung out. And so, by the time we got to the bottom of the climb, I was about maybe 15 seconds behind the front. And when the front guys are attacking, you're 15 seconds behind trying to claw through the peloton. You're not going to catch up. And that was my race day done. And I was pretty frustrated. And 
Charlie, the director, had told me to um, to move up, and I didn't. Um, so that was a pretty big, uh, pretty mistake. And I, uh, I had the legs to be to be there in the front group, um, but uh, yeah, again, the positioning on on that race, for example, was was poor. I mean, if you're if you're not at the front of the bike race in those key moments, um, yeah, you're not used to yourself, and you're also not used to anyone else, um, which is the biggest thing, as well. That's just one example. Yeah, I think one of my best races last year was uh, the Dauphiné. Just from a, like, obviously that's a massive race. A lot of riders are going really well. Um, and the weather there was pretty crazy that week. And just to get through that week was a pretty big deal. Um, just the, the cold rain and uh, the technical parkour. Uh, I was pretty stoked to, to be able to tick that one off. And obviously we had TJ come second. And I got to room with him for that week. Um, he got second on GC. So it was pretty cool to see firsthand how he operates and um, yeah, how a week like that unfolds for someone to come second on GC um, and to help in the process was pretty cool. But um, yeah, a lot of the time it was just coming down to finishing circuits and being prepared to uh, be in the fight for position and uh, to put the body on the line, uh, coming into key climbs, key corners. It's, it's a little different to the Australian racing and I learned that the hard way last year. A lot of the times I would, uh, yeah, be riding through the through the riders that were getting shelled off the climbs and then I would almost see the, the back of the front group but then I would, I would be gone uh, by the time we got to the top of the climb anyway. So it was, uh, it was a few times at the end of races where I thought, okay, yeah, um, I was out of position again. And yeah, I mean, as disappointing for, for me, it's also just disappointing for my teammates because, um, you know, I've got the legs there to help them out. Um, and so yeah, every, every teammate is valuable in the final. Yeah, uh, I was yeah. Ju- I was gu- I was just um, I was looking at the uh, at that Dauphiné lineup um, for you guys before um, before this interview, and um, I, yeah, I just wanted to run through some of the riders that you're riding next to. Michael Woods, of course, um, podium World Championships. Uh, Alberto Bettiol, winner of Tour of Flanders that year. Simon Clark, Logan Owen, yeah. Julius Vandenberg, TJ Van Garderen, um, obviously second at the Tour and has been top five at Tour de France um, a number of times. I mean, it's obviously a, a big uh, responsibility going into a big race like the Dauphiné. I mean, how do you approach something like that uh, mentally as as well as well as physically? Yeah, I mean, I had a bit of an interesting lead up uh, mentally and physically coming to the Dauphiné. I came from um, the Tour of Norway, which finished six days before, um, and I had this crazy toe issue where I couldn't put my foot into a cycling shoe, so I had to take six days off the bike before I started the Dauphiné. I had this weird tendonitis in my big toe so I actually couldn't um, couldn't move my big toe and put any pressure on it so that was pretty stressful coming into the Dauphiné knowing I hadn't moved my bike for six days um, and so that took a bit of uh, 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 I don't know a bit of mental energy out of me and it was interesting the team actually uh, they were going to pull, pull me out of the race but um, one of the directors said it would be good for me to learn how to be good on my bad days in a way um, like not every race you're going to have a perfect lead-in. So um, more often than not, there's going to be something that goes wrong. So it was a good situation for me to learn just to be like, okay, relax, just get to the start line on stage one, see how the body feels and evaluate from there. Um, luckily, my toe was all good. But um, yeah, obviously, as, as one of like the support riders for providers such as TJ and Michael Woods, Betty Ol and Clark, like they're four big riders. And to have the responsibility to look after them and also, just like at the start of 
stages to be following the moves and to be following the breakaways and making sure that the riders that go up the road are like smaller teams or teams that uh, we've specifically mentioned in the race meeting and not to let them up the road. Um, so, for example, um, there's a few stages there where I would be chasing brakes and going up the road for an hour and a half an hour waiting for these moves to go. If I, and I, was never, I never got into the breakaway um, because teams didn't want EF in the breakaway. Yeah, it was often uh, the first hour of racing in these race in the stages were uh, pretty full. Like some of the numbers that I'd hit for the hour were always pretty high. The norm hour would uh, be through the roof, and then I'd try and have to race final and position the guys as well. After uh, try not to think much with regards to responsibility, looking after riders such as Mike and uh, TJ and Simon and uh, Alberto. Just I just have to strip it back and be like, okay, this is what I have to do. Almost like a fake it till you do it kind of situation. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I, was, kind of I was about to suggest maybe you wouldn't be too much use as a bodyguard at the moment unless people were telling you like exactly where they yeah. need to be at any one stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, few, there's a few times where you'd have to position these corners and you do have to kind of uh, puff your chest out a little bit and pull your elbows out. Yeah, it's all about turning on that bulldog mentality. Uh, and when you got riders such as TJ and and riders of that caliber on your wheel, uh, it's a lot easier to uh, put them into position just because I, don't know, I feel like there's so much responsibility and you just do it um, regardless of whether you feel comfortable or not. EF have made um, what seems like a fairly big investment in you and signed you up for three years and, um, and it sounded from what you were saying that um, they were looking, I mean, they've obviously been keen to develop you and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you can you speak to that and um, the support they've given? I mean, I know pretty to put it pretty simply. Last year they were just like absorb everything you can, get as many race days in as possible. So, uh, from the perspective of getting seventy race days in, that was a massive tick as my Neo Pro year. Um, it would have it would have been a uh, pretty disappointing to get sick or miss a, a massive block of racing. So just to experience a full season is really important I think and I think a lot of Neo pros don't get that um, usually there's something there's, there's some sort of hiccup um, and even just you look at other riders that aren't Neo pros you, to get a full season of racing is pretty rare yeah so I, I ticked that box um, but now yeah obviously the team had uh, n- no massive expectations of me last year whilst I still had personal expectations I think the reality was is that I had so much to learn and I didn't know that at the time I came in to the world tour thinking like uh you know uh i'm gonna try and win some bike races but god there's a lot before that but yeah now this year uh obviously no no longer the apprentice on the team this is like any other job once you've done everything once they expect you not to make the same mistakes and there's a bit more expectation the next time around so obviously it's without all this racing at the moment it's it's hard to say what races are coming up but i know that uh now there's a, yeah, I'm no longer the new guy on the block. Um, I think I can say with, with the season I had last year, I, I've learned a lot and I can be a fully accomplished bike rider with with no limitations is what I can and can't do, um, whether that be a, from a technical perspective or from a physical perspective as well. Um, How did your body take to a full season of riding? Because 70 days, that's um, that's above standard. That, that'd be towards the heavy end for a pro cyclist. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing last year uh, from uh, like a toll perspective of the race season was 
I went. I, I did a lot of long haul uh, long hauls. So I went from Australia to the, to Europe, Europe to the UAE, back to Europe again, and then Europe over to the, the US, then back to Europe, then Europe Europe to Canada, back to Europe, back over to Japan, back to Europe, back to Australia. Just those long hauls itself was really interesting to see how it affects and how to best limit that and uh, have stress in your body and how to, how to, how, like, how, how do I, how it not affects your, your mental and physical state coming into a race. But yeah, I think out of most of the riders in the team, I'll probably do the most long hauls. Um, so yeah, uh, just the travel is totally different to, to what I'm used to. But I think by the end of the season, I was pretty used to it. Was, it was, at first it was stressful, uh, moving and the like the travel logistics of getting around to different races i wasn't used to that um i was used to just getting in the car and driving to a race in australia um but uh yeah uh from that perspective the travel is a massive stress in the body that i had to try and learn how to see how i how i best operated um and how i could absorb the travel in the best way possible for it not to affect my body physically which i think i worked it out now kind of going each rider has a different way of way of doing it, but um, yeah, I mean you have the sports nutritionist and uh, the team doctors and just previous pros and all, all the pros that you just learn uh, how to do it properly. Uh, most athletes wouldn't have to deal with so much trouble just with the nature of the sport being a global sport. You know, most most sports are within their own countries to an extent, um, so I think cycling has a lot of trouble um, that isn't ideal as an athlete. Um, but yeah, that was definitely something last year that was massive stress that at first knocked me around a bit, but um, I got I got okay at it um, by the end. I think having the confidence to do less training is really important to understand and to understand that the, the racing that you've just done is a massive training block. But yeah, I never I always felt like I was chasing chasing my form when in fact I should have just relaxed more and absorbed my training that I've been doing, which is something that I'll definitely stress this year. I think. Yeah, I suppose I suppose you would have come into the pro peloton with a bit less of a base than many other athletes in that regard or is that is that maybe not the case with your running background yeah no it's definitely true um like my high end was like my raw power five ten minutes and all that stuff but it was the like what i like to call it like the diesel like the diesel uh fitness you get being able to a rider you kind of get really good at riding for five hours that are just constantly on the pedals and you also get good at just that not fatiguing you so you can get to the final and still do your best best power that you can do after five minutes or up, for example. Um, and that was one thing that my body slowly transitioned um, with over the year. Yeah, it was it's definitely a different standard. Like you'd end up uh, doing four hours. Like if I was trying to go into the breakaway and the break doesn't go for an hour, I would have done an hour well above 300. If it's a big breakaway and the peloton has to chase hard, you end up doing like just under 300 on the wheel. Then you layer that onto the top, on top of me being stressed over just about every corner and over every uh, part of the race when everyone else is relaxing. It ends up being a pretty, pretty big day mentally and physically. And then when you, when you line up seven days of that, I usually uh, am taking the taxi back into uh, after this mentally physically. Um, yeah. But, uh, all in all, that like stress was uh, absorbed. I learned from it, and uh, I think 
it showed over the races that they did a few weeks ago um, that it's all kind of come together. But um, I mean, it's in the context of you saying that um, you're happy and enjoying your cycling, um, it's it's good to hear that you haven't been buckled by all that constant pressure in those hard days. And you, yeah, yeah, and you, and you, yeah. I saw we think we saw you really embrace that at uh, Harold Sun Tour, for instance, where you. Um, almost deliberately tried to seem to make things harder by trying to jump in the brake all the time and uh, fight at the front front of the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Herald Sun Tour was was good. It was it was a different lead into what I was used to. Obviously, I did no nationals this year, no uh, Santos Tour down under, with the intention of coming into the Europeans a lot fresher. But good seeing just from a mental perspective, uh, trying to slow my preparation for this European season and at first it was quite difficult the uh, all uh, growing up or like all I knew over the last few years was the Australian Nationals and that was that was like the the big thing and to kind of not do that and also not even do the tour down under and also just with training not do all the grits not be doing all the k's in the sun which is really easy and to put like uh, training on the uh, in the back seat slightly was at first, like kind of difficult, but it, I kind of got more relaxed and was just like, okay, I've got to save my save my energy for like March, April, because I did notice that uh, my body throughout the season didn't respond as well as it was when I was training in Australia, just because it was so stressed, and perhaps it was because I trained so hard um, and too hard in November, in December, uh, in two thousand and eighteen, getting ready for nationals. And to it another, which I don't think is um, the wrong way to do it. I think if uh, I was to nationals again and to do the Santos to it, and I had important roles in that down under, I would do the same thing. I would try and be full for it. Um, but the reality was that I wasn't doing nationals in the t- and the TDU. So, yeah, that's a little different. Um, so, coming into the Sun Tour, a lot less high intensity was done before that race. But, uh, yeah, I just had to come into it kind of a bit, of, a bit free, not knowing how the form was. Um, and, yeah. I was able to have a few chances of going the breakaway and being aggressive. Um, and unfortunately, the, the days didn't quite... Um, like the breakaway day at uh, the Tawonga um, and Wangaratta day, uh, it was a good day out, but um, in the end, didn't really get much out of it. You have to roll the dice. Yeah, I was, I was in the car behind you on that day. I was in the bridge lane car that day, and that was a tough day. Yeah. <laughs> that was a tough day out of the breakaway. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty solid. It would have been, um, I was getting pretty excited that day because the break took a long time to go and the race was in pieces and I thought, okay, if, it's, if I just keep jumping, eventually a group will be forced, there'll be a group of strong guys and hopefully it's not ideal for for the team leading um, and they have to chase hard and burn their burn their guys. But unfortunately, we just didn't quite have the strength away to kind of really press the belt on and the, the leading team, but um, that's okay. There was only one way to find out and that was the long and hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, uh, that breakaway actually broke down uh, mid race. Um, how do you, how do you go about uh, negotiating something like that? I think um, a few of the guys were sitting on, and then there was a dispute with Ben Hill not getting the sprint points. And yeah, it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, initially when the break went, um, it was a great break with about nine riders or something, something like that. And uh, it was only really five or six guys properly rolling turns for the first hour. The rest were kind of sitting on saying, no, I've got this rider back or teams told me to sit on. Anyway, it was fine. I just put up with it. Um, and then as we uh, rolled through the feed zone, I had one, it was myself and one other Israel Cycling Academy rider. We 
but said, okay, these guys are uh, going to go through the feed and hopefully uh, they'll lose a bit of con- concentration and we'll just keep uh, applying the pro- uh, pedals and then hopefully we can just create a select group that will actually um, roll turns properly. And so what I ended up did was doing a bit of an attack through the feed and then uh, we had four riders join us and the other guys went back to the bunch. It was five riders, yeah, so it was yeah, five in total. And um, the other guys that were sitting on went back to the bunch, which was quite satisfying. Um, but yeah, then we had a group of five guys that were, um, I think three of them were pretty tired, so uh, we didn't really get a whole lot of momentum going, but uh, still we stayed out there and tried to put on a show. I just think it's interesting how those things play out during the middle of the race. And uh, you looked, I mean, I must say throughout the tour, you looked pretty pretty strong throughout. You were doing, you weren't choking your work, yeah. put it that way, and you were you were doing a lot of um, yeah. long yeah. turns. No, I was feeling healthy and I was, yeah, I was happy with how I was traveling. So it was nice to get the green card. I mean, if the director ever says, uh, you know, ride aggressive, follow the break, you take that opportunity because it's, a, it's an opportunity to be in front of the race. You don't get that every time, so. If you, if you get the green card, you, you definitely try and make the most of it. So, yeah. yeah, that seems to be your style of racing. I mean, I don't presume to speak for you, but um, uh, in from what I've seen of you, you, you like to be off the front, you like to be aggressive, and that's where you took your biggest win in the uh, under-23 Tour of Flanders, where you were um, making that move and um, yeah. and being the you know, yeah, aggressive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, whether that's uh, a reflection on my physiology, but... I think it's more so to do down to the fact that when you're in the breakaway, you have so much space and you don't have to worry about the technical part of being in the health zone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one part. And now I've just got to apply that kind of relaxed mentality into the peloton. And, yeah, I definitely like being up the road. And it's also, like, just motivating as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that speaks into what sort of body you're going to become, though. We've seen you be very good at climbs in the past, and I think that was why it was such a surprise that you won um, the under twenty three uh, Flanders because yeah 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 normally it's those Belgian classic guys who've spent their entire life cutting their teeth on cobbles and you just went there first time and yeah won. yeah um, so yeah, where do you yeah. see yourself going where does the team see you um, doing well in the future yeah I mean I've had this conversation with my coach my current coach um, he's from the US in Colorado and um, he's within the team it's kind of a tricky one and I'm still going to work it out I think uh, you know in just to put it in perspective, like as it kind of comes down to the type of training you are, uh, the type of rider you want to be, and also like what weight you are as well. It's all about that power to weight stuff. But like for example, when I did the Tour of Tasmania in 2018, I was like 63, 64 kilos. And then uh, when I did the Nationals the following year, I was 66 kilos, but I was more explosive. And then when I got to Flanders... I was 68 kilos, but a lot more powerful, and I'd done a lot more crits. Um, I tried to kind of mold myself into a more explosive rider um, to do the Flanders course, uh, which worked in the end. But then for Lavenier, three months later, I was uh, back down to 64 kilos. Um, and obviously playing around with that type of stuff, you just try and work out what rider, what, what my body likes doing, um, from a mental and physical point of view, but also I think once you get to the World Tour, you really have to work out what your strength is. Because um, you get to the World Tour and you think, okay, I'm, I'm a climber, I'm good at 10-minute climbs, but then you realise that everyone in the peloton is just as good as what your, what your strength was. So you really have to work out 
what your niche is or how you can best help the team. And uh, I'm still working that one out, to be honest. Um, but it also, throughout the year, uh, your role as a rider changes. And so your training needs to be tweaked for that and your diet needs to be tweaked for that. So, um, yeah, for example, uh, in theory, I had the Ardennes coming up. So that requires some pretty punchy punchy climbing, explosive climbing, which is what I really like doing. So I was pretty excited for that. But then if, but then I was also on the cards for the Dauphiné, which uh, requires a different type of athlete as well. Um, you need to be good at long climbs. You get really efficient at threshold. Um, so, yeah. Just small things like that I'm learning. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you see, you see some of the classics riders, they go from being some pretty big dudes to uh, being super explosive in the one-day races and then they're on the list for the tour. And so they go to altitude and then they reel them down and change their, like, their, their athlete. Um, it's pretty impressive the way riders can do that. Certainly it's something that you clearly been doing, though. So um, maybe it's a, it's a challenge that you're going to be able to adapt to better than maybe others. Yeah. I mean, there's no right, right way to go about it as well. I've just been, I've always been observing the way different riders go about it. Um, and yeah, there's no form. Uh, I think that riders work out what works for them throughout the years. Um, and uh, yeah, from like one rider will say one thing, one rider will say another. And usually it's down to, um, yeah, just what works for them, their mental capacity, what they're willing to do, um, whether it be train more, whether it be to uh, apply this diet, whether it's, you know, go to altitude. Um, there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, there's one side of, like, the preparation for races, but, uh, yeah, last year I worked out it wasn't my physical training uh, that would determine my my race day results. It was definitely the technical side of racing, so... Yeah, it's nice to kind of have that down pat, understand what I need to do from the technical side. Now I can focus on the physical side of training and preparation. That about wraps it up for today's episode of the Australian Cycling Insider podcast. A reminder that you can go and check out the Australian Cycling Insider website and um, so follow us on the social medias on Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook under Australian Cycling Insider. Uh, we're ramping up back into racing soon, so we'll be uh, covering a lot more uh, stuff on there. So if you've been taking a little time off, don't worry, we understand we've been doing it as well. And you can come and come back to the fold and join us uh, to read all the racing news, see more podcasts and uh, check out some of the amazing writing we've got on there at the moment. We've got a few pieces from Kirsty Deacon on there featuring at the moment about um, you know finding inspiration through charitable works um, that her team Veris Racing are doing. So I'd, I'd recommend that if you've got a spare 10 minutes or so to uh, spend reading that. And until I... Uh, until we meet again, either in real life or virtually over the airwaves or through the website, um, I wish you a good day.